Hello, I'm Philip. And I'm Phoebe. Welcome to Dad. And Daughter Do Death. So, Phoebe, how are you this week? I'm good. How are you? I'm all right. Do, do you like our new uh, our theme, theme jingle? Well, you should do because you I, wrote it. I do it. like it. I did write <laughs> you it. You composed yeah. it. <laughs> I feel like it could be longer, but um, it, it literally struck me as I was giving Toby a bath. I was like, that's a nice tune. <laughs> and then I like, wrote it down. <laughs> all right. So I need to like expand it a bit. Um, but oh, yeah, no, is, I thought it's, it was good. fine. It oh, yeah. uh, sets the scene. It sets the scene indeed. Yes, yes. Yeah, so, so. Uh, any news this week? Not a lot of news, to be honest. It's been quite quiet. Um, listening to podcasts, as usual. Watching murders on the telly, as usual. Yeah. <laughs> um, of course. I, of course. <laughs> what else is there to do? Um, I did watch a documentary about Tia Sharp and Stuart Hazel. She's quite, so she's the one who, she's the girl who was murdered in Croydon. She's in the loft, yeah. And I knew the story quite well, but I think every time I watch it or listen to it or think about it, I just like how horrific he was and it is. And the fact that he was like out talking about her and saying, well, where is she? We don't know where she is and all that stuff. Yeah. And he'd put her in a bin bag in the loft. It's just awful. So, yeah, I watched that this week. Some strange behaviour out there. Yeah, some really strange behaviour. Um, been listening to some more stuff about cults. Always oh, good. Okay. Yeah, Morbid this week has been all about um, a ghost haunting, which was pretty interesting. Uh, okay. Um, I've uh, I've been listening to Dateline rather than Morbid lately. Um, cool. I mean, I've kind of completed Morbid, so I'm just waiting oh, right. to release new ones. <laughs> no, I haven't got that much time. Cool. So what have you got for me tonight, Phoebe? So tonight I am going to tell you about Alexander Pushushkin, okay. who is also known as the chessboard killer. Alexander Pushushkin. I wonder how many times I'm going to get that wrong. <laughs> Pushushkin. Um, Pushushkin. Pushushkin. It's uh, P-I-C-H-U-S-H-K-I-N. It's not Pushushkin. Pushkin. Yeah, Pushushkin. Um, he was born in Mitishji. Mitishji? Michishi, in Moscow. <laughs> it's going to be a long night. On, uh, the, <laughs> on the 9th of April in 1974. Um, and he lived with his mum, Natasha, and his dad left when he was about one. So they lived in a part of Moscow that was full of streets and streets and streets of people in really cramped flats, um, which was an example of the Khrushchevka. Okay which was basically the Soviet Union's first large-scale public housing project. Yeah. project. So they built all these flats and chucked all these people into these places. So yeah. um, it was quite a poor area. People were poor. Life was tough. Lots of people living on top of each other. Um, generally not a very nice place to grow up. It was On the outskirts of Moscow? On the outskirts of Moscow, yeah. Um, hmm. It was colloquially called the arsehole of Moscow. I'm not even going to attempt to do the Russian of that but it, it wasn't a very nice place by all accounts um however in the area there was a beautiful park that was full of streams and trees and kind of foresty it was like a real oasis um and it was called Bitsevsky Park um also known as Bitsa Park colloquially um and yeah it was a real 
change to the kind of grotty, you know, Soviet era flats, a lot of concrete, yeah, like our garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but Bits Apart was really a, a nice kind of breakaway from all that. Not a huge amount is known about Alexander's childhood. And I think it was, by all accounts, relatively normal um, until the age of four. So not very long. Um, so he was at the park with his uh, mum and he was playing on a swing and he fell off the swing. Um, and as he sat up, the swing swung back and smacked him in the head. Um, and have a think about kind of Soviet era swings, solid metal. Yeah. It caused quite a lot of damage. So he was in hospital for about a week. Um, and almost immediately, his family noticed that his personality had changed considerably. Oh, wow. He'd gone from being this really kind of shy, quiet little boy to being really quick to anger, really violent. And it's kind of generally thought now that this sort of injury caused damage to his frontal cortex. Okay. Still developing. Um, and that part of the brain is the kind of pleasure giving part. And it controls how somebody deals with like reward and happiness and motivation. Um, and damage to it can often lead to poor impulse control and shortening of tempers, um, especially at such a young age. After this accident, he started to get quite badly bullied um, at school. His classmates ridiculed him for being slow because it kind of caused him to kind of stop developing quite so well um and they also made fun of him for his surname which means little bird apparently um apparently that, oh. was, that was a reason to uh, bully him hmm. um i mean yeah fair drink water we had that too, but. <laughs> <laughs> um but he really became very much an outsider um kind of any friends that he did have he didn't have anymore um he was a very lonely little boy so his mom was obviously really worried about him um, and she decided to remove him from the school and sent him to a school for children with learning difficulties, which okay. didn't really help um, because he just became more and more withdrawn. Um, and he just thought he was just very other. He'd kind of been taken away from his friends and put into this other school. And he had stuff that's a bit weird with him and he just didn't get on very well. Um, and, and is this late 70s, early 80s? Yeah. Then, yeah. yeah. So in Soviet era. Absolutely. Special needs schools. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so his grandfather really noticed that he was struggling um, and he invited Alexander to come and live with him. Um, and this is where Alexander really got something that he'd wanted his whole life, which was a male role model. So he really taught Alexander how to be self-sufficient, how to be a man, you know, as he was kind of getting into his you know, early teens. Um, and every day after after school, they'd head to Bitsevsky Park and they would drink vodka, as you did, and they'd play okay. chess. Um, so it might seem like... Is, a weird is this thing. what granddads are supposed to do with their grandsons? I think so. Take yeah. them to the park and drink vodka. And play chess, yeah. Okay. My granddad played chess with me, so it's just yeah. a right of passage for you to play chess with your grandson, I think. Maybe not vodka. Might have to be gin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. My granddad was gin and vodka, wasn't he? So, um, gin and vodka, <laughs> gin and chess. So <laughs> you'll have to be gin and chess too. Um, but in Soviet Russia, traditionally, the will of the individual was very much discouraged and people were encouraged to work and do activities that kind of benefited the whole community. Um, but one of the exceptions to this was chess. Um, so chess was a, a way that people could really kind of express themselves and excel um so chess itself is thought to have been invented in northwest india in the 7th century 
Um, in its early form, it was known as Chaturanga, which literally means four divisions of the military infantry. Um, of the military, that's okay. uh, infantry, cavalry, elephants, and chariotry. Um, and then it spread along the Silk Road, and they kind of took it with them. And they played it, and obviously, as all things do, it ended up in Europe. And about 1475 in Southern Europe, kind of what we know as modern day chess was really established. Um, so chess, as you all know, is a two player game and each player has 16 pieces that they play with on a chessboard, which is made up of 64 black and white squares. Yep. Um, the aim of modern chess is to checkmate the king piece of the opponent. So basically trapping them with your pieces. It's a game of strategy and thinking um, and it's, played at like Olympic level, world class level, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, oh yeah. And from 1948, there's a real Soviet dominance in the chess world. Um you think about chess, the musical, yeah, yeah. excellent musical, <laughs> all about the uh American Russian struggles yeah. game of chess. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Um and this was largely thought to be because the Soviets really subsidized the game. They really encouraged it. There, there were chess schools, there were loads of tournaments, and the game was promoted as a vehicle for international dominance. So uh, it was someone who worked with Lenin who really pushed it. Um, and still today, nearly half of all Russians play chess really regularly. So okay. it's still really, really popular. And it was really common for people to go in the parks and play because they had very little else to do as well in the kind of late what, in the 80s in Russia. Alexander loved it. It was the perfect game for him. Um, it looked really simple but it was actually really complicated and complex and he saw himself in the game and he was very good at it and by the time he was a teenager he was outwitting all these older men and he loved the dominance and the power that it gave him for the first time in his life he was really starting to get the respect of other people he was excelling at something he was excited and he loved it so things were definitely turning around for Alexander things were getting much better until the unthinkable happened and his granddad died Oh dear. What what sort of age was Alexander? So he was about 17 at this time. I okay. Think, 16, 17. So he was a teenager. Yeah. Um, yeah, still not particularly old. So he was forced to, back, to move back in with his mother. I'm not sure what happened to his grandmother. Uh, but he was forced to move back in with his grandmother into their cramped, tiny flat um, where there was a sister there too now. And he just had his chess and a dog that his granddad gave him for comfort. Um, And he was supposed to be going to this vocational college, but instead he spent all of his time at the park drinking vodka, playing chess. Um, And he was starting to digest pornography quite a lot, which is getting increasingly more violent. And his mind was getting more and more warped. And he actually had a bit of a running with the police over some explicitly violent videos. But they kind of just said you know, you're all right, get on with yourself. And things didn't really get any better for Alexander because um, then his dog died. So his dog, who he loved, who he was really attached to, he was like a part of his granddad. No one is 100% sure if he caused the death of the dog or not, but he did blame himself. And we all know that serial killers often start off by killing the family pet. Mm. Something we've definitely covered before. Yeah, well, yeah. (laughs) So his behaviour started to escalate um, and he would spend his time in the park scaring children (laughs) and getting his thrill from just seeing the fear on their faces and revelling in that rush of power that he got from it, which was replacing that rush that he got from winning chess games. He needed more to kind of satisfy that, that urge from him. 
And very soon, that just wasn't enough for him. Um, and he started formulating a plan to kill somebody. So on the 27th of July, 1992, so he was 18, he invited his old school friend, Mikhail Odachuk, to accompany him on a killing expedition. So Odachuk didn't think he was being serious. He just thought it was getting a bit weird. Whatever, cool, we'll go for a day out. Um, and the two men wandered around Moscow and um, Pushushkin was kind of suggesting people who were weak or vulnerable that wouldn't be missed, um, that they could kill. Very quickly, um, Odichuk realised that he wasn't joking. Um, and he tried to make his excuses and leave. Yeah. But um, Pushushkin didn't want him to leave and convinced him to stay. And he was getting very angry with his friend for wanting to leave and worried about what he might say and unable to kind of contain this. He murdered uh, Mikhail Odachuk um, and his body was soon found and all the roads led to Pushushkin. They knew that he was with him that day. They knew he was the last person to see him alive. People had seen him around together, but there was no real proof. There was no evidence to say that it was him. Um, And the police basically decided that it was kind of going to be too much hard work to look for evidence for this. So they just didn't bother and just hoped that it wouldn't happen again (laughs) and kind of had a bit of a chat with him about it and he remained free um probably the first of several failings from the moscow police okay but not something that's uncommon so after he'd killed his friend and just left him in the park he didn't actually kill anybody for another nine years um which is quite a long time but it's not really uncommon for serial killers. I think sometimes when they do finally kill somebody, it can freak them out a little bit. And I think especially because he'd had that encounter with the police, it spooked him a bit. Yep. So he just spent the next nine years looking after himself. Okay. <laughs> Got a job as a shelf stacker, and that's about as high as his aspirations went. Uh, as um, we said before, shelf stackers are very important people Yes, absolutely, especially at the moment. Um, And he was still living at home in this tiny flat with his mom and his sister. And around this time, Alexander developed an obsession with another notorious Russian serial killer called Andrei Chikatilo. So Chikatilo was nicknamed the Butcher of Rostov um, or the Red Ripper or the Rostov Ripper. Um, And we might cover him in the future. um, Again, a really interesting Russian serial killer and he was convicted of sexually assaulting murdering and mutilating at least 52 women and children between 1978 and 1990 quite a lot of people in quite a short amount of time he had formed didn't he yes and he was actually executed with a gunshot to the head on valentine's day in 1994 um after he was convicted of these murders so executed as in by the state not yes. Just, okay. Sorry. Yeah. No. So he was he was tried. Put to death. Yeah. So Alexander's obsession with Chikatilo just became part of his daily routine. So he went to work. He'd come home. He'd get drunk, um, and he'd read about his trial and his life. And it's almost like he kind of treated it as a bit of an apprenticeship, like learning how he'd managed to get away with his crimes for so long and okay. remaining free and really active around this time. And he found that like really inspirational. Um, and at this point, he decided that he wanted to kill more people than Chikatilo. Um, and because of his love of chess, he decided that he wanted to kill at least 64 people, um, okay. beating Chikatilo's 52, um, and then being able to kind of essentially fill a chessboard with the people that he'd killed. 
So he'd spent nine years mentally psyching himself up for his next kills and learning all about what Chikatilo had been doing and, and, and how he'd got away with it for such a long time. So when he did return to killing, he'd convinced himself he was a genius and he was going to be able to outwit anybody. And actually, he did for quite a long time. So he returned to his beloved Bitsevsky Park um, in March 2001. Yeah, and he started killing. Um, wow. He first started targeting primarily elderly homeless men. He'd approach them with the offer of a chat and some free vodka. Um, often he would invite them to come and look at the grave of his dog, <laughs> um, claiming that it was the anniversary of its death. And you know, I'm just going to go look at the grave of my dog. Do you want to come? And these people would go with him because he'd like lured them there with free vodka, essentially. And then after befriending them and sharing drinks with them, he'd kill them. Hmm often just battering them around the head with something sharp um, or blunt or a bottle. Um, and then he dragged their body to a nearby well, which um, was like an entry to the sewage systems in Moscow. Okay, and yeah. He'd just throw their bodies in there. Wow. Um, so if he hadn't killed them by battering, battering them around the head, um, the nice gross sewage waters um, that would, you know, take them away would definitely kill them. Um, but then if the bodies did wash up, nobody could really identify them. Nobody knew who they were. And you couldn't have linked them back to bits apart because they were coming from all over the city. Um, so there wasn't really anything for him to worry about as long as he didn't kind of get caught in the act. Wow. Just kill these people and <laughs> come in a well. That's, uh... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so Bit of a I... loophole somewhere. Yeah. Allowing yeah. him to get away with that. But, wow. Okay. Yeah. So over the next eight weeks, he lured nine more victims to their deaths. Um, and the police, again, were just not really very helpful. The people were listed as, as missing sometimes. So some yeah. family members would would report them. But the police would kind of just ignore it and hope it went away. <laughs> they didn't really care. They were like, well, we don't know where they are. They might turn up. Um, and then if they did turn up dead... They just thought that it was suicide or that, you know, something had just gone mm -hmm. awry and they weren't really that bothered about it. So it was quite a close knit community and people all lived very close to each other because they're all in these like blocks of flats on top of each other. Yeah. Um, and, you know, rumours started spreading and people thought that these people were, you know, being taken out by the mafia or they were moving abroad or there was something to do with, you know, the state. Um uh, one of the rumours was that someone had escaped from a mental hospital um, and that, that they were killing people. So within the next year, he killed about 16 different people this way. So the, the numbers were, were racking up. Yeah, he's uh, yeah, getting towards his target. Yeah, he's on his way. Um, so in February 2002, he caught sight of a young lady who was pregnant. That didn't stop him. And he lured her in with the story of his dog and said, oh, it's the anniversary of my dog's death. Would you like to come and see the grave? And she accompanied him. Um, and he battered her around the head and threw her into the well and left. Um, but she actually survived and she managed to climb oh, wow. back out of the well. Um, and she told the police straight away what happened. She had yeah. a really good description of him. She could say, you know, exactly who he was. But there was something to do with the fact that you needed papers to live in a certain place. And when they kind of, she told them this information when, when she was in hospital and they asked to see her papers and she didn't have any. And they basically said to her, well, you know, you should go to prison because you haven't got any papers. But if you drop all these charges, 
we won't chase you up because of your papers. So they left it at that and they didn't take it any further. And if they had, he would have been caught and he would have been put in prison. Another missed opportunity. (laughs) Absolutely. It's ridiculous, isn't it? Victim blaming. (laughs) And this was in 2002. Like it wasn't that long ago. Um, so yeah, and she was fine, the baby was fine. Um, but Good. this was their opportunity for them to catch him, and they didn't. Um, so he carried on killing sporadically in this way until about 2005. So over that kind of three year period, he killed about 40 people, um, in kind of bursts of, of people in this yeah. way. So he, you know, he'd befriend them, give them drinks, smack them around the head, chuck them in the well, done. Just for the sake of doing it. Just for the sake of doing it, yeah. Wow. For no reason. He didn't steal anything from them. These people didn't really have anything. So he wasn't yeah, yeah. he was just doing it for the sake of doing it. Um and then in about 2005, he decided that he wanted some recognition for his crimes, basically. He didn't like the fact that these bodies were disappearing and he wasn't getting any credit for it at all. Um it wasn't enough for him that he was, you know, just killing these people. He wanted to get make people scared and he wanted the recognition so in november 2005 the body of <laughs> nikolai zakachenko who was 63 was discovered in bitsevsky park um he'd been beaten and his body just been left in the open right um, he was a retired policeman who'd had an interest in these bitsevsky park murders and he was the first 41st person that alexander had killed and but this discovery okay. kind of awakened the police a little bit the fact that this body had been found in the open made people realise that there maybe was a serial killer around. Um, and they started to kind of think about all the people who just mysteriously disappeared over the last few years and started to think, mm, maybe there is something going on here. started to join some dots. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it just took 41 people to die for them to start doing it. Wow. So apparently around this time, there was a news report about this murder and this speculation. And they were watching it at home. Um, they were sitting there at home with his mom and his sister and his sister's husband and then their two children who were all living together in this tiny flat okay um and she became so his sister Katya became like obsessed with it and like trying to work out who'd been doing it and was really speculating on it and stuff like that and uh what did she know it was her brother who she was watching this with so his kills continued to escalate um and he developed a bit of a signature so he'd beaten them around the head with probably with a hammer generally and then he'd push an empty vodka bottle into the gaping wound in their skulls oh gosh um and then leave them out in the open propped up against trees just lying in the park but all over the park it's a massive park not sure how big but it's a very big area like central park sort of size like yeah. it's not just like a little corner of a road <laughs> um, park and these bodies were just all over the place in all sorts of positions and states and stuff and women, children, men, all sorts of people, but all with this vodka bottle in their head. Wow. By this point, um, he'd killed nearly 60 people and he had absolutely no intention of stopping. Um, you know, he was getting a thrill from it. People were scared. People were worried. And he loved this attention and this power that essentially he had over an entire community. However, one morning in June 2006, um, a young man woke up to realise that his mum hadn't returned from a date that she'd been on the previous evening. Okay. And she'd actually left a note with her son to say if anything happened, she was with this guy that she worked with called Alexander and it had his number on it. Uh-huh. So he tried to call Alexander 
and said, oh, I think you're at my mum last night and she's gone missing. Have you seen her? Um, and he said, no, not seen her for weeks and hung up the phone. He thought, that's a bit weird. And then it was weird because they worked together and he knew that they'd seen each other at work. So he was like, that's very weird. Mm. And then he was very soon contacted by the police um, who told him that his mother's body had been found in Bitsevsky Park with a vodka bottle in her head um, and a metro ticket in her pocket. Okay. So they went to the station and they got hold of the CCTV footage. So, you know, remember this is 2006. So CCTV footage is pretty good at this point. Um, And they looked at this footage and they saw her with Alexander Petrushkin just a few hours before her death, which put them together. So that footage and this note that she'd left behind to say, Oh, yeah. I was with him, yeah, that yeah. put together, and that led to his arrest. And they went to his flat and they arrested him. Okay. Um, and he was um, apprehended. And as soon as he was, he took police officers to the scenes of most of his crimes around the park. <laughs> oh, wow. um, and was really keen to just kind of recollect how he committed all these murders. Um, and he was filmed reenacting them, like in really big detail um which apparently is a process which is quite common in russian criminal investigation which seems really weird um i'll have to look and see if i can find some videos to put on yeah uh, sure instagram i bet your sister um, was beside herself i know yeah like he was so <laughs> close <laughs> he also revealed that some of the murders were not done using his preferred method of kind of smacking around the head but some of them he just chucked him into the well you know just because he could um and he claimed that while killing people, he felt like God um, and that he decided whether his victims should live or die. And he said, in all cases, I killed for only one reason, in order to live, because when you kill, you want to live. He once said, um, for me, life without murder is like life without food for you. I felt like the father of all these people since it was me who opened the door for them to another world. Um, they did some psychological evaluations on him and they didn't <laughs> say they didn't find out that he was insane they just said that he just had some personality disorders um but he was never kind of diagnosed with anything that would cause him any sort of like insanity defense or anything like that nothing from the bump on his head when he was a four-year-old i don't think enough to justify what he'd done um mm. because they you know they kind of studied people who'd had similar things and they hadn't gone on to murder 60 people so when they searched his flat um they found his chessboard which he'd immaculately colored in all the squares of um all the white squares of for the people that he'd killed um and marked the other ones so like the black squares were still black but then he'd colored in the white ones in between okay. to kind of cover this chessboard with all the people that he'd killed so he was arrested on the 16th of june 2006 and he was convicted on the 24th of october 2007 um of 48 murders and three attempted murders and he actually asked a russian court to add an additional 11 victims to his body count um bringing his claimed death total to 60 and three surviving victims and this is because he wanted to have more kills than Chikatilo. And he was only convicted of the 48 murders compared to Chikatilo's 52. And he was devastated that he wasn't convicted for all the murders that he thought he'd committed because it meant that he hadn't outkilled Chikatilo. Oh, he didn't reach his goal. I know, so close. <laughs> <laughs> um, and during his trial, he was put in a glass cage for his own protection yeah. because you know people were so angry at him 
and it took the judge over an hour to read the verdict to him um which was life in prison with the first 15 years to be in solitary confinement um wow and he is still in prison and still in solitary confinement um and he's actually in an arctic penal colony called the polar owl um so he didn't get sentenced to death I have no idea what the death sentence situation is in Russia, actually. I would assume they don't have it for him to not have been sentenced to death for killing 48 people and not being put to death. But the fact that he's in an Arctic penal colony sounds kind of worse than death, actually. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe that's grim, what they to do. It really does. Yeah. Wow. So um, that is the grim and gruesome and quite sad story, actually, of yeah. Alexander... Pushkin and uh... the 48 people maybe 60 people that he killed is uh homeless people that nobody really noticed uh, they're gone i suppose less dead people um it's kind of i think how they get referred to isn't it because once they are yeah people don't really notice that they're not there anymore i think i mean we we probably know from our extensive research by watching a lot of uh, true crime television and listening to podcasts that the most difficult crimes, murder crimes to solve are when it's random. Yeah. Uh, ra- ra- a random killer with no connection to the victim because most of them are known, aren't they? They're mm. husbands, wives, or in some sort of relationship or family members or business rivals or whatever. There's usually some sort of yeah. connection. But when it's completely random, so he's just picking up people from the street who probably aren't known by many people anyway or won't be missed by many people and then killing them just for the sake of it uh, there's no life insurance or anything like no. that in this case is no there? he's not cashing on um, his life insurance his bank account's not filling up with yeah them, there's, there's no love rivals or anything like that involved it's nope. it's purely for the sake of it so yeah you kind of almost see how we got away with it yeah, for but so also long. if the police weren't that interested and it was yeah. kind of just a bit inconvenient for them and these people who were dying or missing weren't, you know, really missed, then actually they were kind of like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> you know, yeah. we'll, we'll just leave it. Um, I wonder what else they were doing, though, for them to just, like, not pay attention to it because you'd think that murder would rank quite high up on the list of, you know, jobs to do. Yeah, well, yeah, you would. <laughs> but let's not speculate too much no. there because... <laughs> Knocks on the door. No, 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 probably not. But um, yes, I mean, I don't think we're the first people to um, discuss this case and um, come to the to similar conclusions about how it's dealt with. But they found him in the end, so they stopped him because I don't think he'd have stopped. No, well, it doesn't sound like it. He um, he just loved what he did, and he just yeah. got such a thrill from it. And I'm just surprised that when he started like leaving the vodka bottles behind and stuff, I don't know how thorough he was, but there must have been some sort of like evidence left behind there. And DNA testing was a thing by yeah, then. Yeah, by the early 2000s, so definitely. Yeah. Why weren't they testing these all these bottles and trying to piece? Or you know, I, I just got I visions know. when you were describing it of literally. All bodies all at the same time in this part, but presumably right. they weren't all at the same time. No, it was only, well, it was spread over about a year. Right, so they'd so find a body. No, with a... There was like November to June. So what's that? Seven Six, months. Six, seven months. Yeah. So 
quite so they'd find a body and clear it away, and then a few days later there'd be another one, sort of thing. Or yeah. a few weeks later, yeah. Yeah, there's twenty bodies over seven months. So what's that? Yeah, can't do the math. Seven months is about thirty weeks. How many bodies? Twenty. So yeah, kind of almost one a week. Yeah, quite a lot. <laughs> like oh, another one. <laughs> so a lot of people. Um, but just good that he got brought to justice in the yeah. end. Yeah. The reasons why he was doing it will probably never really be fully understood. Just that he loved it and he got that such a thrill from so it. So many mass murderers, I suppose. Absolutely. And yeah, yeah, maybe the um, you know, head injury that he had. I mean, I'm gen I think I'm gonna make to go on our Instagram like a serial killer bingo, you know. Lack of father figure, weird relationship with mom, head injury. <laughs> Killed a yeah. pet, <laughs> burnt something down. It's like, you know, it kind of ticks all that serial killer bingo things, really, doesn't it? Didn't burn yep. anything, I don't think. But um, all of those things together kind of create this perfect storm, don't they? But then not everybody who does these things turns into a serial killer. So I wonder what it was that just kind of really pushed him over the edge. But... It's probably going to be life's mystery, one of life's mysteries for a very long time, mm-hmm. that. But he's just pondering on it in his solitary confinement in well, the yeah. Arctic Circle. Uh, he was he was convicted in two thousand seven. Two thousand seven. Fifteen years in solitary. So and then life in prison. So you might be out of solitary next year. Yeah. So yeah, that's Alexander Pushushkin. Right. Well, my turn next week. Your turn next week. I will have something to tell you. I look forward to it. Yeah. So until then, Phoebe, thank you very much. You're welcome. Uh, everybody else, don't forget to look at our Instagram page, which is Dad and Daughter Do Death. Or you yeah. can email us at dadanddaughterdodeath at gmail.com. And uh, we look forward to talking to you next time. Yeah. So <laughs> until then, join us again when Dad and Daughter Do Death.